0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, with a burgeoning interest in the botanical-style blackwater aquarium and its characteristics, concepts, and functions, we're still seeing a tremendous amount of misunderstanding and misinterpretation when it comes to how to achieve a more realistic water conditioning. Now the problem, as I've stated many times here, is that the perception which has been picked up by the hobby is that these types of aquariums are a sort of aesthetic alternative, a way to scape tanks and create an interesting look, uh, maybe some water conditions, but the perception seems to end there. The deeply tinted water in many of the fantastic aquariums that we see shared on social media, including ours, (laughs) seems to imply that many of these tinted aquariums feature soft, acidic water conditions as a matter of course, something that we erroneously assume. And a fair number of hobbyists, upon embarking on their first adventure with botanical materials, express frustration, confusion, and even dismay that their hard alkaline tap water is still hard and alkaline after dumping in a whole bunch of botanicals. This type of confusion is likely caused by a lack of understanding of the fundamentals of aquarium water chemistry and what exactly black water is. Now, understand that, as we said many times here, botanicals uh, it will not create soft, acidic black water conditions, quote unquote, without other measures being taken by a hobbyist. As you likely know by now, there are a number of factors which contribute to the color of the water in your black water aquarium, specifically tannins released by the, the leaves, wood, and other, you know, botanicals that you have in the tank. And as we've discussed now, like, I don't know, 327 times, maybe less, I don't know, maybe more. (laughs) In many situations, leaves and other botanicals will have little to no influence on pH unless you're utilizing uh, a water source such as reverse osmosis, which yields product water with extremely low mineral content and is more amicable to pH reduction. However, they will affect the color in some instances and the visual clarity of the water as well. And color generally has absolutely nothing to do with the pH of the water, really. I really want to see less of these. I added a bunch of catapoles and seed pods from this guy on eBay, and my water's dark brown color, but the pH is still 7.6. What gives those sort of questions that, you know, populate online forums all over the world? Soft, acidic blackwater conditions, quote, seems to be the goal of many people who play with botanicals. Yet there is so much bad information out there, even after more than five years of us having been putting out our information and sharing everything that we've learned, it's astounding to me. So I thought it'd be helpful to create a series of periodic, you know, podcasts and and blogs here to discuss how we can facilitate the creation of such conditions in our tanks. Now, I'm not going to be giving you a recipe to achieve 5.2 pH and zero DKH or something like that. No, no, no. Rather, we'll touch on just some of the things that you as hobbyists can do to help you know set up your aquarium to achieve such conditions and first off it all starts with your water if your goal is to manipulate the pH of your tap water to bring it from neutral or alkaline to the acidic range you need to make it malleable and the easiest most cost-effective way to do this is to utilize water which has been deionized this is basically achieved or best achieved actually with a reverse osmosis deionization or RODI unit The idea of deionization, also known as demineralization, simply means that the removal of ions from the water has occurred. Ions are electrically charged atoms or molecules found in water that have either a net negative or net positive charge. Ions which have a positive charge are called cations, and ions with a negative charge are known as anions. Materials known as ion exchange resins are used to exchange unwanted cations and ions with hydrogen and hydroxyl, which form pure water, H2O, which is not an ion. Okay, your head's probably spinning yet. I know mine does whenever I start talking chemistry. Now, some of the ions that you find commonly in tap water include stuff that we know well like calcium, magnesium, iron, manganese, sodium, and hydrogen. These are removed with cation ions. Substances which we classify as anions include compounds like chlorides, nitrates, sulfates, and silica, which, wait for it, are removed with anion resins. Okay, making sense now, right? So deionization is a process in which source water, you know, your tap, is forced through a series of ion exchange resins, which are small plastic beads that are composed of organic polymer chains, which have charged what are called functional groups formulated into the resin bead. Each functional group has either a fixed positive or fixed negative charge. Different ions are attached to these types of resins with different strength. It's really a fascinating process, which I'm probably just really doing a bad job of explaining, but you can obviously research this stuff further if this interests you. Of course, that's not the whole story behind water treatment for aquariums. Deionization is combined with reverse osmosis. Reverse osmosis is a process which removes contaminants from tap water when pressure forces it through a semi-permeable membrane. Typically, a pre-filter removes sediment and chlorine from the water before it forces it through the semi-permeable membrane to remove dissolved solids. Water flows from the more concentrated side, which has more contaminants of the uh, RO membrane, to the less concentrated side, which has fewer contaminants, to provide what we call product water. That's your water with zero to minimal. It should be zero TDS and a good good system when it comes out. Once your tap water has been treated in this manner, it's much more easy to manipulate the pH through a variety of means including botanicals and so forth. It's an important first step towards creating black water in your aquariums. Okay, that's a lot of stuff to go on, right? And I'm not being a chemist, so I'm probably not, you know, doing the best job of explaining stuff, but I hope it piques your interest and at least gets you thinking here. Suffice it to say, a combination of reverse osmosis, deionization, is a fundamental piece of equipment and a great investment for your hobby. So an RODI unit is something that you really should should get. If you're serious about creating optimum conditions for your fishes, the first step is to incorporate one of these pieces of equipment into your aquarium practices. And that of course brings us back to nature. Black water differs significantly from white waters in their ionic composition and typically with more acidic pH with low concentrations of calcium, potassium, and magnesium. blackwaters typically have low electrical conductivity as well. Now, in general, blackwaters originate from sandy soils. High concentrations of humic acids in the water are thought to occur in drainages, which scientists, uh, in in types of soils that are called podzolic. Uh, Podzol is a soil classification which describes an infertile, acidic soil, uh, having sort of an ash-like surface layer from which minerals have been leached. Soil geology is one of the most, if not the most, profound influences on black water in natural aquatic systems. It plays a fundamental role in creating the chemical characteristics which are common to these ecosystems. Also interesting to note is the fact that soluble humic acids are absorbed by clay minerals in what are known as oxosol soils, resulting in these clear waters. Oxisol soils are often classified as laterite soils, which someone who grows aquatic plants is probably familiar with, right? Uh, they're known for their richness in iron and aluminum oxides. I'm no chemist or even a planet tanky, but these are important for aquatic plants, right? Yeah, it's interesting stuff. In studies of the Amazonian blackwater uh, environments, it, it was discovered that the pH in some areas was as low as 3.5 or less. It was. It is. <laughs> and that these habitats still have significant and rich populations of fishes. Now the fishes have obviously evolved to thrive in these environments. So it's interesting to think about what makes them tick as they say, right? It's thought by some scientists that the humic acids from soils and botanical materials like leaves that are abundant in these waters uh, can only bring down pH so far. And interestingly too, it's thought that some of these humic substances enabled these fishes to osmotically regulate their body chemistry Uh, to survive in low pH environments. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, As far as lowering the pH, a current theory postulates that about 85% of the work in lowering pH in these waters is actually accomplished by organic acids, and the remaining 15% by CO2 fermentation taking place in deep beds of leaf litter and other botanical materials, producing stronger acids like acidic acid. Uh, further, the dominant decomposers in these extremely low pH environments are fungi as opposed to bacteria, which I thought is also interesting. A lot of neat stuff. Now, I'm absolutely not suggesting that we attempt to achieve a pH of 3.5 by packing a 20-gallon aquarium with, you know, 18 inches of leaf litter and letting it ferment or making kombucha out of our aquariums or whatever. I can see the drama that we create now. What I am suggesting is that we consider the uh, the fact that what we consider low pH for aquarium environments is not all that radical, you know, 6. 8, 6.5, 5.9, easily managed pH. Further, it's not terribly difficult to use RODI water to keep the pH in a reasonably tight range in the aquarium. We just need to understand the dynamics of the system. Reminds me a lot of saltwater or, you know, African Rift Lake cichlid systems, understanding the operating system of the environment, working with it to keep stability and consistency. We have a lot more stuff we can do, and we'll talk about it, even in regards to water and other topics, of course, you know, like, um, substrates and so forth. Without getting really into the weeds here, suffice it to say that if your goal is to create and maintain an aquarium with a low pH, you probably want to avoid substrates which are high in calcium. In addition to our own substrates, we utilize materials which have little to no buffering capacity or influence on pH, such as silica sand and several commercially available substrates, which don't you know really impact the pH. Again, creating a blackwater aquarium is far more complex than simply throwing in some botanicals you know, watching the water change color and telling yourself, "Yeah, I did it." It requires a fundamental understanding of basic stuff like water chemistry, biology, and ecology, and the basics of aquarium keeping. Stuff which I'm sad to say still seems to mystify or elude many hobbyists, who'd much rather look at cool pics of blackwater tanks on Instagram or consult, you know, some very simple Instagram, you know, uh, infographic somewhere. Reality is, we have got to do a little dig. We can do better. We should want to, and it's not that hard. It's actually really interesting. In fact, you'll find that the pretty pics of the tanks that we all love so much will take on a more meaning when we actually understand the function and some of the science behind them. Stay informed, stay curious, stay diligent, stay bold, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tent and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.